Hey y'all, I'm Elizabeth. Um, the scripture reading tonight is 2 Timothy chapter 1, if you guys want to turn there and stand back up as we read. Okay, first one. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day, as I remember your tears, as I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in sufferings for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Philogus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. This is the word of the Lord. It's great to see a bunch of you this evening. We've got... Uh, a, a new series that we're rolling through. I, I appreciate Elizabeth reading the whole first chapter of Second Timothy. And that's what we're going to cover the next several weeks. We're going to run through uh, all of Second Timothy. Who, who in here, it would be your first time to cover a whole book, like in three or four or five weeks? First time to cover a whole book? That's good. That's good. Um, and the other bunch of you that didn't raise your hand, that's good too. This book talks about telling the truth. Uh, I do want to give you a brief overview of this book. It is the most personal letter in the New Testament. It's Paul's last letter. He's going to write this letter at the place where he's pretty sure he's going to be executed for his faith. In this letter, he alludes to, hey, I'm on trial and it's not going well. 
And so he doesn't know how much time he has left. He's in Rome at this point. And so Paul is knowing that his days are coming to a close. You may have a relationship with someone who you have watched pass away or is in the process of that. And there's something that happens to a person when they know my time on earth is drawing to a close. And so not only are we seeing the words of a man who knows his time on earth is drawing to a close, but also a man who is grounded in the Lord, like fully, deeply grounded in the Lord. And so we get a very holy perspective on what it looks like to wrap up this life and be just about be ready to enter into the next life. So we're going to see all of that. In the process, he's going to give us some words that I think are super relevant today. I was telling a few folks earlier today, they were saying, oh, this is my favorite book, or I studied this book last year, um, or I studied this book with a group of friends at camp that I used to go to. Uh, and to each of those folks that I talked to, I said, man, what's cool is this book could have been written last week. It's so relevant for where we are today. Um, some of the themes in this book, generational Christianity. Um, if any of you ha come from the place of, oh man, I remember my, uh, my great uncle was a Baptist minister and uh, you know, my cousin always says that that's how they're gonna go to heaven because my uncle was a Baptist minister. Well, we're gonna look at generational Christianity. Is that a thing? Um, the appointing of leaders, the idea of fanning into flame the gift of God that he gives you. We'll see how the Old Testament scriptures are still relevant today, and Paul talks about the Old Testament scriptures. Uh, we're going to talk about holiness, how suffering is a normal part of Christianity. Paul also talks about true friendship. He actually talks about friendship multiple times in this book. He just does it in a way where you kind of have to read between the lines, but we'll get into what is true, real biblical friendship. And also, we're going to get into the nitty-gritty, and we're going to start to see this a little bit tonight, the nitty-gritty of people are generally bad. The world will tell you people are generally good. A lot of Christians will tell you that people are pretty much born good and like do some bad things. Paul's gonna come at this from a total different angle and he's gonna basically say, yeah, people are bad and I'll go ahead and give you a spoiler alert. The, the world is bad now and it's just gonna get worse. So Paul's like, and yet he's not being opt, uh, like pessimistic. He's not like, oh, so just eat, drink and be merry for tomorrow we die. He has a different outlook on it, but he's very real in his understanding of things. So if you've had somebody stab you in the back in the last year, well, Paul would say, yeah, that's gonna happen. And then he would tell you an encouraging way to view it. And so we're gonna see that. We're also gonna see false teachers. And part of that is gonna be how to recognize, expose and avoid those false teachers. And ultimately what we're gonna see is what a life devoted to Jesus looks like. In chapter two, Paul's gonna give three examples. He's gonna give an example of a farmer, of an athlete, and of a soldier. And he's gonna say, hey, these are three real life examples of what it looks like to follow Christ. We'll get into some of that next week. But as we get rolling tonight, Elizabeth just read us all of chapter one. There's so much to cover. So let me pray for us and we will jump in there. Father. I thank you so much that you've given us such a great book. Lord, this chapter that we're looking at tonight, help me to do it justice, give me the right words as Lewis prayed earlier. And, uh, and Lord, just ask that you would speak to all of us. Lord, minister to us tonight, whether we are new to experiencing you or whether we have walked with you for a long time. Lord, would you give us just a fresh word from you? 
Lord, through your scriptures, through your Holy Spirit, would you give us an answer to something we've been wrestling with? Father, would you meet us in this place and give us the grace to respond to you with a yes? It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So let's take a look at the first couple of verses. I'm going to break this down so we can kind of get through it and, and see what I want us to see. I just want you to know when you cover a whole chapter in a night, you're definitely not going to cover everything. And if you do, it's not going to be a night. It'll be like tonight and tomorrow we'll finish. So we're going to, there's going to be parts where you're like, yeah, but I wanted to know about that. We can talk later. That's totally fine. Uh, but we're, we're part, parts of this we're going to park and sit there for a second, and other parts we're just going to move on. For instance, this greeting, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. We could do a whole message on what is an apostle, and we're not going to. Uh, we could talk about how it's by the will of God and get into election, but we're not going to tonight. We could talk about a bunch of things, but I think what's interesting is in verse two, what stands out is Timothy is called Paul's beloved child. Let me just ask you, you're all pretty young. Some of you are like, I'm glad he said that. And some of you, like, I mean, you're all young. Like, you got, you got the world by the tail. Like, life is, like, all out in front of you. Is there anybody who can look to you and say, that guy or that girl was the reason that I came to Christ? Is there anybody that can look to you and say, man, they shared Jesus with me, they loved me in a time when I thought I was unlovable. And as a result, I gave my life to Jesus Christ. I really want that for you. Part of Heather and I's story is that we have not been able to have kids and so we've just devoted ourselves to always trying to be around the upcoming generations and to pour into. And every once in a while, somebody will say, well, you've got lots of kids. Somebody said this a couple of weeks ago. And a lot of times I feel like they're, pa they're, they're just patronizing. They're just like, yeah, 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 you got lots of kids. You should have like had kids. Um, and then they kind of move on with their comments. It's usually married people with like four or five kids and they all look very tired and they look at us and they're like, oh, well, you have lots of kids. Um, it's your spiritual kids. But every once in a while, somebody will say that, and I know they really mean it. And let me just tell you, it is an awesome thing when you've seen somebody come to Christ, you've walked with them through that journey. And by the way, there's not, there's not so much an age put on that. You could be 22 and have a beloved daughter or son in Christ, meaning you're the person God used to bring them to know the Lord. And it's a great thing. And so that's where Paul is coming from as he writes to Timothy. And he says, my beloved child. And then of all the vocabulary Paul had of God, he says three things. He says, grace, grace is the strength to do God's will given by God for God. Grace, mercy, hey, when you blow it, like may God just help sweep that one under the rug and move it off to the side and you move on and peace. I just think, if nothing else, I hope that, that you, as you're trying to follow the Lord, can just soak that up. 
and say, maybe if nothing else tonight, I need to know that there's somebody out there who wrote to somebody a long time ago, and maybe those words are just for me, that maybe God's trying to say, hey, you need some grace, you need some strength to do his will, but also, he knows that you're just dust. He knows that you're like a flower in the field here today and gone tomorrow. He knows that you're a vapor. So, like a little mercy, and if he extends it, maybe you need to extend it to yourself a little bit. And then the peace, the shalom of God. And if you were here last week, we looked at a prayer in Philippians 4, and in Philippians 4, it says that when God gives peace, he gives peace that transcends our mind and our heart. When he, imp when, when he imposes that peace on us, it's really hard for us to move out from under it. That's an incredible peace that the Lord gives. And he says to Timothy those three things, grace, mercy, and peace. And then he gets down to some business with Timothy. Timothy's a young guy, a young pastor. He's supposed to lead a church. Timothy's had some conflicts. Timothy's thinking what I have thought a few times, like, man, I wonder if I'll drive by a business sometimes. And I heard a guy say this a long time ago when I first got into ministry, and I was like, I've never thought that. Since then, I've thought it a lot of times. I drive by a business sometimes, and I'm like, I wonder what job in that building I could have where, like, they wouldn't call me if stuff stopped working. And I could still, like, I could, like, do stuff and, like, maybe be important, but, like, Maybe it wasn't like 24 seven and then I just keep going. My best example would probably be like a fast food restaurant. Like, man, I bet if the fry maker quit working, they wouldn't call me. Like, I'll just keep on trucking. And I think Timothy was having some of those thoughts about ministry and life as a pastor where he was like, man, this is hard and people are hard to, hard to love sometimes. Some people are very lovable, but like, gosh, this is tough. And then there's folks coming into the church that are trying to create havoc and, and wreak havoc on the place. And so I think Timothy was like, man, I'm losing my confidence a little bit in Christ. And so Paul, verse three says, I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, Timothy, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith, listen to this, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. And now I am sure dwells in you as well. So here's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, Timothy, I think you think every once in a while that because you come from Christians, you're going to be just fine. I don't know if any of you, maybe like late high school, early college, had to make your faith your own. Maybe as a young adult, a 25-year-old, you had to make your faith your own. But at some point, if you've had spiritual heritage, grandparents, parents, friends that were believers, maybe you were like the kid, like my mom who grew up in a, in a family that didn't really go to church, but she had youth group friends. Like at some point, she couldn't rely on the faith of her friends anymore. She had to make her faith her own. I think that is the call here. The idea is that that generational faith is no grace coverage policy with God. There's a, a strong idea there that generational faith is no grace 
policy with God. Like, just because you come from Christians, just because you walked an aisle or said a prayer or got baptized in a church and you, you're riding the shoulders of those other folks, at some point your faith has to become your own. So here's where we need to pause in 2 Timothy and we need to, to look back a little bit and understand where he's coming from. So flip over to Acts chapter 16. Look at Acts chapter 16. Clearly, Paul and Timothy have known each other a while. This is at the end of Paul's life. Earlier on in Paul's ministry, he met Timothy. And this is really important for the background of understanding this book. So, look in Acts 16. I'll start in verse 1. I'll read the first five verses. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. And as they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in faith, and they increased in numbers daily. Here's the background on old Timothy. Timothy, if any of you know Hebrew, I'm about to say an English swear word in Hebrew, Timothy was a momzer. Timothy was a bastard child. Timothy's mom was a Jew. His dad was a Greek. Timothy's mom had faith in God, but at some point, some Greek fella had good hair, I would think. That's what I think of. Like, I'm thinking Mama Mia here. Like, he had, like, good hair. He walked up, and he swept her off her feet. And she probably got pregnant. We don't know if they ever got married. And honestly, we don't know if that's exactly how romantic it was. It could have been a rape all we know is that Timothy comes from a sordid past. Now, if you go all the way back to Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 2, you'll read something very interesting. You don't have to go there. I'll just tell you. You can put it in your notes. Deuteronomy 23, verse 2 says this, that anyone born of an illegitimate marriage, which would be a Jew marrying anyone else, or a child coming from a Jew and anyone else, cannot enter the temple for up to 10 generations. So here's the story of little Timothy. As a boy, his mom and his grandmother would have to go to the synagogue. They would hear the Torah being read. They would come home and they would talk about the Torah with their little boy, Timothy. Timothy would learn about God and Timothy would learn about the God who would not allow him to come into church. And somehow or another, the way that his mom and grandmother explained God as good and yet just and holy and righteous and still cared and loved for Timothy, even though Timothy couldn't go into the church, something happened in his heart and he was drawn to the Lord. And Timothy begin to learn the scriptures. Now, this is what I think is interesting. Me, on Sunday morning as a kid, I would like lay in bed. It was the only day of the week I laid in bed and I faked being asleep because I would hope that my parents would not wake me up to go to church. This is my penance. Um, but like, 
I really, I would lay asleep and I was like, man, I, or I'd lay in there and just, I was like, I hope they don't wake up. I hope they don't wake up. And when the like, church started at 9.30 and when it was 8.45 and nobody's door had opened, I was like, we got out of it this week. Timothy, on the other hand, would go on Saturdays to the synagogue. I really think he would sneak and he would listen outside the synagogue. What is the rabbi going to teach this week? What's he going to read this week? Timothy was hungry for the Lord. And Timothy was not offended at a God who had rules, a God who had consequences. Timothy knew even though the God that he was listening to had rules and consequences, that God also extended grace and mercy and peace. And so by the time Paul shows up, he hears about this kid that's never been allowed to go into the church whose faith for the Lord is rock solid. And Paul says, I want that kid to come with me. We can do something with that. And so Paul had to have him circumcised. Like he couldn't even be around the Jews. And Timothy was like a, like a young man. And so not to be overly graphic, but Timothy as a young man said, if that's what it takes for me to be a part of the Lord's work, then I'll do it. Now folks, that is commitment. Like, we won't ask for a show of hands who would be willing, but like that's a, I mean, that is like commitment. I can't even imagine this kid like loves the Lord. And every church they go to, the churches are strengthened and they grow. But now when we get to 2 Timothy, Timothy's having a crisis of faith. And I don't know if you've ever had one of those. I don't know if you've ever been in the spot where you were like, I used to be here with the Lord, and now I'm kind of like here with the Lord. And I just, I, I just wish I could get back up here where I used to be. But that's the spot Timothy's in. He used to be here with the Lord, and now he's here. And so Paul's got this whole book to say, Timothy, it's, it's fourth quarter, man. The game's not over. God still has work for you. And so that's the, that's the heartbeat behind this letter. And he says to him, I remember the faith of your grandmother and the faith of your mother, and I'm sure that faith dwells in you. And for this reason, look at verse 8. He says, for this reason, sorry, verse 6, for this reason I remind you, Timothy, to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of fear, but he gave us a spirit of power and love and of self-control or a sound mind. The call here is to fan into flame, Timothy. Now, here's the deal. If you're in a spiritually low spot, I'll just give you a real personal example from my quiet time yesterday morning. Yesterday morning, I was opening my Bible and it simultaneously, I took my phone out and my phone won. Like, my phone is, is like, sometimes, I don't know if you ever feel this, sometimes my Bible feels like the cover weighs 300 pounds. But my phone just magically lights up and tells me stuff. And, and I, it was like the news feed that had come in and I was like, well, I need to know what's happening in the world. How else can I pray for people? And so like I, I start to read the news feed and then the news feed turns into me looking at like fly fishing stuff and then climbing stuff. And I was like not part of praying for anything anymore. And then all of a sudden I like start putting stuff in my cart. I'm like, I should buy some things. Like this had spiraled out of control quickly. 
I'm talking like in minutes. I don't know if you've been there, but like in minutes, I had gone from I'm going to have my quiet time to like I am on a shopping spree. And so, and I didn't, I didn't have like extra money to go shopping. It was just like I was doing it. And, uh, and so at that point, I stopped and I closed all the windows and I opened my Bible. And I kind of did it begrudgingly. Almost, my prayer was almost, God, you better show me something good. I've sacrificed some fly fishing things for this. And as I read in the book of Romans, there was one little word that jumped off the page in chapter three, and it sent me on this like catapult of, Lord, what about this? And what about this? The next thing you know, I'm just digging through the scriptures and I'm talking to the Lord. And I realized like, I wasn't even thinking about tonight teaching this verse, but I thought that is what you, that's how you fan into flame. God gives us a choice every day, moment after moment throughout the day. What flame are you gonna fan? And yesterday morning, there were two flames. There was this flame and there was this flame. And for a while, I fanned this flame and it ended up, it would have ended up being like a $500 flame. But thank the Lord that he gave me grace and mercy and peace to close this down and to start reading this. And it fueled for the rest of the day. In fact, in, in our staff meeting yesterday morning, I was able to say, man, let me just show you something out of Romans 3. And it was kind of unplanned, but it ended up being a really cool devotional moment. Like the Lord just kept using that and he's kept using that. And I thought, I, I don't even remember what I was shopping for. I, and, and if I had bought it six months from now, it wouldn't mean anything to me. I'd want something else. But six months from now, I might teach you from Romans 3 and that one word that jumped off the page. And so he says to Timothy, Timothy, I want to remind you of the most basic things. God has given you a flame. He's given you this little burning ember of the Holy Spirit and the gift of God. And it's your job to fan that into a flame. And it's your job to fan that into a flame. If you're a Christian, you've got the hot embers and it's your job to fan that into a flame. And you know what? There's gonna be lots of little hot embers in your life all the time. And the question you've gotta ask moment after moment is which one am I gonna fan? And then he goes on and he exposes something in Timothy's heart, which is fear. And he says, Timothy, Part of the reason you feel fear is because you've been fanning the wrong flame. God didn't give us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. Now, who in here wouldn't want to walk out and be like, man, forget that lady talking about the power poses. I've got like the Holy Spirit. I don't have a spirit of power. I've got a spirit of power, love, and self-control. I could take on the world for Jesus. Like everybody wants that. And we have it if you have the Holy Spirit of power, love, and self-control, a sound mind. And he says, Timothy, it's right there. It's right there. God gave it to you. But here's what happens. As soon as we fan the wrong flame, fear is one of the main enemies that enters our life. 100% of the time, fear, self-doubt, like poor decision-making, as soon as we start fanning the wrong flame, all the negative stuff comes into our life and it's of the devil, it's not of the Lord. And that's the way God, that's one of God's like warning signs. Like if your life is a, has like a dashboard on it, like in your car, that's like a check engine light that comes on. 
when you're like, man, why am I so nervous all the time? Why am I so afraid? Why am I blah, 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 blah? You just gotta ask yourself, question number one, what, what am I fanning? Like, which, which pile of embers gets my attention? And then he goes on to expose this even more in Timothy. And he says, therefore, Timothy, don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. That's the, that's the first of three times in this chapter alone he's going to use the words not ashamed. Don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. He says it in verses 8, 12, and 16. He says, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. Paul is a, Paul's a big believer, and if you're walking closely with the Lord and you're fanning the embers of the gift of the Holy Spirit that God has given you, that you will not be ashamed. He starts off the book of Romans, Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of salvation to those who believe, first to the Jew and then to the Greek. Like, he's a big fan of this idea that part of the litmus test of if you're fanning the right thing is how, how unashamed of Jesus are you? If you would say, I am definitely a Christian, hear me on this, if you would say, I'm definitely a Christian, but I'm a little bit nervous, maybe we'll call it a shame to talk about Jesus with people that I know, that I work with, that I go to school with, that I, uh, that I house sit for, all those kinds of things. Uh, maybe not house sit for because they wouldn't be there, but, um, but maybe I'm a little bit ashamed to talk about my faith. I would think you're probably not fanning the gift of God into a flame. I would think you're putting energy into something else. And for some of you, your energy is not going into faith in God. Your energy is going into your ability to have faith in God. And Paul's going to make that clear as we end up this passage. If you're like, wait, say that again. I will, but we'll wait till we get to the end. So he says it, don't be ashamed about our testimony of the Lord, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Now, I wanna just tell you something people should have told you when you asked about what it means to ask Jesus into your life. If you were like, if somebody could just tell me the gospel clearly, what would they tell you? Well, they would probably tell you, you're sinful, separated from God. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. He took the wrath of God upon himself. You don't have to have the wrath of God. If you'll give your life to Jesus and repent of your sins through faith, by his grace, you'll come to know him. He'll be your, he'll be your heavenly father. God will, Jesus will pay for your sins and the Holy Spirit will accompany you through life, leading you to do the will of God. Like most of us would be like, perfect. But also in there, the New Testament teaches, and by the way, you will suffer. Part of like hitching your wagon up to God means that you're gonna get some flat tires along the path and some things are gonna happen. But you know what? You're gonna suffer no matter who you follow. This life is full of suffering. Um, the problem is we don't realize we're signing up for suffering when we, uh, when we sign up to walk with the Lord. I won't show you some pictures, but um, I, I have suffered a few times on climbing trips, uh, especially to the Pacific Northwest. I've suffered through a friend breaking his neck. We've suffered through what's called a shiver bivy where we summited. And then after we summited this mountain, um, we had to repel a whole lot of repels down, like 17 or something to get off the mountain back onto the glacier. In the process, a major like storm came in and so we just slept on the side. That wasn't planned. Um, and yet, we, and we laughed. We were like, this is type two fun. Like, this is great. We're, we're suffering, like suffer fest. And it was like, kind of like, we were like, ugh, ugh. Like we did push-ups in the night so we wouldn't freeze, that kind of thing. Um, and that's not an exaggeration. Can you just show that one picture of the one that's all dark, Brandon? 
It's just my friend Andrew's face. Yeah, yeah, the red thing in the corner is me. Yep, the red thing over there is me. Andrew's taking a picture of himself. I'm like fetal position on a rock. It wasn't long after that that we were sleeping like spooning. Yep, we were spooning and like just trying to stay warm. Uh, he's still smiling there. We weren't smiling later. I woke up to him doing jumping jacks. I was like, oh, it must be very cold. Um, anyway, but like we knew we had signed up for suffering when we signed up for that. We're like the potential of suffering is high. When you come to Christ, you come to Christ to escape suffering. But the reality is, I promise you, if you'll walk with the Lord real close, sooner or later you're gonna get beat up real bad. It's just a reality. Francis Chan uh, did a study on suffering because it blew his mind. As a 50-year-old, as a he was like, no one told me about suffering. And he started researching in the New Testament all the times that God talks about suffering and joining in the sufferings of Christ. And then you start reading stuff like John 15. A lot of you know John 15. I am the vine, you are the branches. Get to the second half of John 15. Start in verse 18. And Jesus says things like, the world will hate you. And the reason the world will hate you is because they hated me. And they hate me, and they're gonna hate you because you love me and you know me, and really they're not hating you, they're hating me, but they're gonna hate you. And he goes through the whole rest of John 15. We always think of John 15 as like, he's, he's the vine and his father is the vine dresser and we, we abide in him and he abides in us and we bear much fruit. We think of John 15 in a really positive light. Most of John 15 is a warning that if you really do wanna follow Christ, it really won't be easy. Yes, that's why a lot of your friends that used to be Christian aren't. It got hard. And that's why 10 years from now when you look around and a lot of your friends aren't Christian, that were Christian now, it's because life got hard. And following Jesus wasn't easy. But as the writer of Hebrews says, but such things we hope better for of you. And that's why I'm trying to encourage you with the truth that walking with the Lord is tough. In Romans 5, I do want you to turn there real quick. Look at Romans 5, the first five verses. Paul, again, is very familiar with sufferings. He's in jail, and he's had Christian friends walk away from him because they're embarrassed that he's in jail as a Christian. They're also kind of thinking, well, if he got locked up for being a Christian, like maybe he really wasn't being a Christian the right way because being a Christian means that you should pray and good things should happen, and you should always have peace and joy and love in your heart, which is true, but that should be synonymous with like, and everything else goes well too, which is not true. But in Romans 5, the first five verses, Paul says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, 
we have also obtained access by faith into this grace which, in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope and the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice. Listen to this, verse 3. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Paul says, not only that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance, character, character, hope, and hope does not disappoint. The whole first opening part of this monologue to Timothy, before he gets into the specifics of how to lead the church, Timothy, what embers are you fanning into flame? And Timothy, the reason you have fear in your heart is because you're not fanning the right embers into a flame. God didn't give you a spirit of fear. He gave you a spirit of power and love and of a sound mind. And the admonishment, therefore, Timothy, don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Don't be ashamed of me and my suffering. Verse 9, for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Verse 11, for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher. Listen to verse 12 and underline verse 12, which is why I suffer as I do, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed in, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. So Timothy, follow the pattern of sound words that you heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. I think one of the big questions you have to ask is why is it so hard to be a Christian? Why is there suffering? This is where I'm gonna just park it and start to land the plane for a second. You know, Anna Winters, you know, the Devil Wears Prada. Like, you know, she had the, the Met Gala I don't know if you, if you saw the Met Gala. Some of you were like, yes, I did. Um, it was $30,000 a ticket to get in. When you charge $30,000 a ticket, what you're saying is, there's people we want to not get in. And so all the who's who come, and then every once, every year, one of the who's who says, here's why I'm not coming to this anymore. And they do that so that they can like get known for not coming. And it's just, uh, it's crazy. This year's theme was a medieval theme. And so um, the costumes were unbelievable. Uh, Simone Biles, her dress that she wore for this took 6,000 hours to make. If you're wondering how long 6,000 hours is, roughly 2,000 hours is a work year. So three work years. It had 17,000 feet of tool on the dress. It weighed 98 pounds. It took six people to get her up the stairs. Now you have the world. Some of you are like, you shouldn't have read all that, Thomas. 
you think about the world, the whole biblical narrative has been for two chapters, things were great. And then starting in chapter three, the world begins to fall apart because of sin. And so for the last multiple thousands of years, things have gone from bad to worse. Some of you need to make your faith your own and not your parents or your brother or your sister or whoever else, your roommates, whatever. You need to make your faith your own. Think about, that's, that's actually a good problem to have because the world for multiple thousands of years has spiritual fathers and mothers and forefathers and foremothers and all those things way back when that have just been passing on sin upon sin upon sin. Now, sin usually only lasts three or four generations. We skip a generation, somebody comes to Christ, and then pretty quick after that, people remember, oh, the sin days, and they go back. The world has been broken and broken again and broken again and broken again and broken again and broken again. And when you come in as a Christian and you proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, you're going against millennia of tradition. You're going against lifestyle upon lifestyle upon lifestyle. You're going against belief system against belief system against belief system. And you're telling folks, by the way, if you come to Christ, it also won't be easy. And so the world eventually looks at you and they say, you, you people, are barbaric and archaic. And it doesn't matter how kind you are, and you should be kind and gracious as you share about Christ with folks. But if they put a perfect man on the cross, how much more will they do to one of us? And I think it had gone so well for so long with Timothy that when he started to hit the wall of this is kind of hard, he had what's called a crisis of faith. I always think about the, the two worlds colliding, like what if I had gotten invited to the Met Gala? One, I, I, there was somebody would have had to sponsor me. Um, two, like um, Heather would look great. I would have look like Justin Bieber back in the UPS clothes days, like the brown clothes, I don't know. Um, but like, it just being in that world of leisure and decadence, it would be so, it, it would be fascinating on one hand to be there and to be hopefully a Christian light. On the other hand, if somebody then deposited a bunch of money into my bank account, told me I could live in New York City and have a house in LA and do all this other stuff, if I just didn't do quite as much ministry, it would be real easy to start justifying things. It'd be real easy to start compromising. And so the enemy packages leisure and comfort as the ultimate, the penultimate God. And when you and I come in as a light for Christ and we say, actually, leisure could be a damning thing in your life. Comfort could help be a damning thing in your life. When we come in and we start stirring all that up, 
And we say, hey, can we pause the gala for a minute and pray for the people in Afghanistan, especially the Christians that are stuck, the potentially 80,000 that are still stuck? All of a sudden, you have had the scratch of the needle on the record. And it's no wonder that eventually the world says, I'm tired of hearing it. And at that moment, my faith is not in how strong I can stand. My faith is in exactly what Paul says in verse 12. I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. And then Paul ends the chapter by talking about three different people. He says, Timothy, you basically have a choice. He says, Timothy, you can be like Phygelus or Hermogenes, or you can be like Onesiphorus. Phygelus and Hermogenes, also Demas is going to be listed in chapter 4. Paul calls out three people that used to be walking with God. And he basically says, the pleasures of this world wooed them away from God. He said, or Timothy, you can be like Onesimus, or uh, uh, um, I wanted to call him that the whole time. Every time I read it, I called him that. That's not his name. Uh, Timothy, you can be like Onis Onisiphorus. This is the guy who I want you to be like, this is the guy who wasn't afraid that Christianity could mean loneliness in friendships and romance. This is the guy who wasn't afraid to say, I might be ostracized socially. This is the guy who said, it's okay if I have professional pressures put on me and I have to walk away from that job and that money and all that stuff in order to follow Christ. This is the guy who said, it's okay if I get a little mud kicked in my face as I'm graciously and kindly and appropriately trying to live for Jesus. This is a guy who said, my treasure is not here on earth. I know whom I have believed in. My treasures are on another shore in another land in the life to come. So, I think my question is, what flame are you going to fan? What are you going to fan into flame? The embers that beckon to give you a short rest and a little reprieve? Maybe you won't feel as convicted about that sin if you just quit reading your Bible. Maybe you won't feel as convicted about that thing if you keep going out with that person. Maybe you won't feel as convicted if you just like walk away from those people that are like trying to hold you accountable. What fan, what, 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 what embers are you going to fan into flame? Or will you be the one who says, no, I'm called to something so much bigger than myself. You see, he saved you, not for you. He saved you for him. He's called you to something so much bigger than yourself. So my encouragement tonight, just like yesterday morning, I had two options of embers to fan. 
And it was just a little moment. I started to fan this one. But by the grace and mercy and peace of God, I was able to put this fan down. I was able to stop fanning this and able to pick this up. And these embers were like just barely glowing. But you open this book and you dig in and all of a sudden, it's amazing how you have strength for the whole rest of the day. Next week, as we roll into chapter two, we're gonna see some great word pictures, but the pictures really won't mean anything unless you're fanning into flame that gift of God that he's given you. And by the way, you can't have two fires going. God just made it where that's not a thing. He only lets us have one fire going at a time. So don't trick yourself in saying that I've got a little bit of God and a little bit of this other stuff. The other stuff's winning. Let me pray for us. Lord, tonight as we sing a couple of more songs and have a chance for your Holy Spirit to continue to minister to us, would you give us the grace and the mercy and the peace to walk away from anything else that we have fanned into flame and Lord, either to come to you for the first time or to come back to you. And may you give us the grace and the mercy and the peace to fan into flame the gift that you have given us, Lord. May we be able to say that we know whom we have believed in and we are convinced that he is able to keep what we've entrusted to him. It's in Jesus' name I pray, Lord. Amen.